BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. We got plenty to get to today. We got the low-hanging fruit of the Julio Jones conversation. But more importantly, let's stay current. Let's talk about the OTAs that are underway and what to expect this week because the NFL has shifted into the third gear, the third phase of OTA. So there's plenty to get to there. We'll also discuss Peter King's power rankings. It has the Patriots coming in at a Brian Sype, Harold Carmichael 17. And we're gonna talk about the similarities between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's situation and situation prior. All that and more on Tom Curran's Patriots Talk Podcast. Hey, Phil. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? I got a gurgling beagle belly on the couch right next to me. His, his stomach is just gurgling away, Bose. I could see that being distracting. Are you going to be okay for the podcast? I'm more concerned with whether or not he's going to be okay, because every time I try to close the doors to this room and start podding, he sits there at the door like there's something going on in here, and there's not. And then he comes in, and now he's got a gurgling stomach and no place to go if he starts to go like this um and that i just made for the folks who are listening which is most of the people here uh regurgitating animal face so we'll keep <laughs> you should hear this we're going to keep an eye out over on Bo. um but Are more importantly and the people didn't show up to listen to how the canines feeling more importantly phil it's ota season and you yesterday tweeted out that the 2021 offseason program in phase three consists of what? Do you remember off the top of your head? I do. Yep. It's uh, <laughs> it's just your normal OTAs. This is, this is what we all no. think of as OTAs. Well, it's not just, but listen, traditional OTAs. Okay. You're you get right. 10 days right. of those things. No contact. So no pads, but you're wearing helmets. You guys have probably seen the pictures already. Uh, you can do meetings in person or virtually. Uh, mandatory minicap is part of this. And um, the hours in terms of the hours you're allowed in the building are jacked up uh, just a little bit during this phase as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, you know, like you said, everything's getting ratcheted up a little bit. It's still not full go and it's not mandatory yet. Mandatory minicamp will come a little bit later, but uh, looks like they had a pretty good crowd at their first OTA yesterday tom as we're taping this and i think around the nfl we're seeing that which to me you know with these otas it's worth underscoring too and we're going to hear this when minicamp comes in just a couple of weeks i think it's june 14th 15th 16th um and we're going to have an access to minicamp this thursday excuse me to otas this thursday where we can be in person i believe right phil yes yes right. we will be there thursday so we'll be in the house there um but these are not going to be evaluating camps. We're going to show up. We're going to chart. We're going to report. We're going to talk about who ran well, 
who looked quick, everything else. But the coaches, even though somewhere in the back of the mind they will evaluate, they're not evaluating, according to Bill Belichick. This is a teaching moment, and it's a teaching moment for probably John U. Smith and Hunter Henry and Matthew Judon as much as it is for Christian Barmore and Mac Jones, right? It is. That's You hit the nail on the head. Bill Belichick always describes this as teaching camp versus training camp, which he calls competition camp. That's when you're, you're fighting for jobs and you're looking to move your way up the depth chart at certain positions. So uh, I think for me, what's most interesting about these OTAs, Tom, is that even though they are teaching and a lot of it is fundament, fundamentals, they do go through some plays and they do work on fundamentals that will be appropriate for whatever it is they're running in season. So you're going to see two tight end sets on the field. I would think a bunch you're going to see, I would think the mechanics of the RPO and the Mm -hmm. zone read game, you know, that's obviously something Cam Newton has done, but not so much the zone read in terms of the quarterback running portion of it, but Mac Jones, a lot of RPOs at Alabama. So that sort of stuff that, that mesh point with the running back and the quarterback, that's the kind of stuff they're going to be working on. Um, so you can get a little bit of a sense for how things might look once training camp rolls around at these uh, non-padded practices. That right. They have. And, and honestly, we, we too, to not overstate it, Phil, and I know that you're not trying to do that, but to measure f- reports coming out of Foxborough this week for people who are on this pod who rely on, look, our TV shows are different. We get a little up in arms in the, on those and, and, you know, things get sexed up, but we're going to try and give you the straight poop here. Okay. And I don't care how many people tell you that John U. Smith had a hard day catching the football because two might've bounced off his hands. It just doesn't matter. So what matters? What are what you looking matters? for from these? Yeah. What do you want to know Great about question. from these? Um, I want to know the arm strength and accuracy of, a Mac Jones. We know that Jonas Smith can catch footballs. Um, I want to see the speed with which um, a Nelson Aguilar seems to be getting in and out of breaks. I want to see who's working with who when they break off to the side. Is Cam Newton um, perhaps breaking off to the side with Hunter Henry and Jonas Smith? Is he over with Nelson Aguilar? In turn, what's Jarrett Stidham? Look, Mac Jones isn't going to be on the field ahead of Jarrett Stidham, I promise you, this week. Phil, do you want to take a bet on that? <laughs> uh, he does. No, no he I do in training camp. In training camp, maybe I'll I'll take the bet. I just think I, I don't know if the quarterback reps will be uh, at all interesting because I think they might just be split equally, Tom. I think if they're not split equally, I think that would actually be interesting. I do. Yeah. Uh, but I think at this time of year, I think you're going to see everybody getting two, everybody getting three, and then moving on to the next guy. I, I'm kind of assuming that's how it'll work. It's such a small rookie class, too, that you can't necessarily segregate them and just say, go work together um, because it's they don't have a ton of them. And we've seen times in the past when they do that. So Mac Jones um, doesn't have a whole mess of receivers to work with. I will be interested to see where guys like uh, Trey, last name, please. Nixon. Right. That was a quiz. I knew. Uh fits in how he looks. Um, but you know, the sure. Aguilars, the Bournes, just seeing how people move, that's kind of what I end up getting out of it. High I, tower I think- and attendance, you know, high tower, what role he seems to be in, Judon. It's it's really just gauging things like that to me. Attendance will be probably the first thing that I'm looking for, as it is most of the time we're out there for any kind of practice. But this year especially where there's been this move to 
make sure that the voluntary workouts are actually voluntary. Um, I think the attendance is going to be really good. We saw a number of longtime veterans at, you know, just based on the pictures, Tom, the photos that were being taken by the team that ended up going online. And that's not even a full view of what you're getting, uh, what you're getting in terms of attendance, but like Matthew Slater was there. Brian Hoyer was there, you know, they're veteran guys there that you would think might've been part of that group that would say, okay, we might not need this. Um, so the attendance mm-hmm. portion will be interesting. I don't think we saw either Devin McCourty or Dante Hightower in the photos. Doesn't mean they weren't there, yeah. but we'll try to figure out who's there, who's not. That'll yeah. Be and to me, it's going to be fascinating because look, this is the NFLPA, or at least the veterans made a very conscious concerted effort to dissuade the rank and file from going to OTAs. And that was less than a month ago, and it's already fallen flat. Let's be completely flat out honest about it. Whatever was said on those conference calls to try and get the NFL to back off on forcing players to come in because there was concern about COVID, which to me was a false flag put forth by the players, and their greater concern was let's get some allowances in other places that we can get. Um, whether it be changing the way OTAs are run, but too many players, veterans, stars, and the rank and file young guys who need these OTAs are showing up. I actually grabbed this because this was from Derwin James from San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers, who said after a massive outpouring of attendance for a four and 12 team, were they four and 12 last year? For a four and 12 Chargers team, for a crap Chargers team last year. Derwin James says um, he wasn't surprised at all at the attendance. We've been together already this offseason, already voluntary by ourselves. We had a lot of guys already committed and bought in. They want to learn. They're eager to learn. They have, there's a lot of hungry guys here. Everybody's here, and everybody's taking in all the learning that we can. That's being said in Los Angeles. Down in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady and his teammates worked out prior to the OTAs beginning this week. So I, I just don't get what the point was of all that saber rattling by J.C. Treader and other guys involved with the NFLPA when you're just going to say, okay, we're all coming in, which they should have done in the first place. To hide behind COVID, to hide behind the pandemic, I found cringeworthy. When so many people are being vaccinated and there's so much success being seen, that these guys were going to say, well, we don't feel comfortable. When you know that they feel comfortable and they're going out and droves most of them the majority of them all across the country so I, that bothered me man i just think it was and I'm, I'm glad that the the young players are showing up for their sake because it was unrealistic from the jump to assume that those guys not that they were assuming that those guys wouldn't go but to believe that there was any chance that they wouldn't show up and mass because they know themselves if you're a young player if you're a rookie if you're anywhere near the bubble, you have you have your it's career suicide. Not <laughs> going to these. That things. was actually said by uh, an agent yesterday. That's exactly I mean, what, what it's, he said. It's it's what it is. Like you gotta you gotta call it what it is. And so um, it does look like it'll be OTAs, kind of you know maybe not as quote quite as normal as they always are for us from a media perspective. But uh, I think from the players' point of view, it looks like they'll be kind of the same old OTAs unless Tom, there are parts of it that Bill Belichick has met with players and said, okay, to make sure that, you know, we get as many people as possible here, we're going to do fewer Hill runs, right. or we're going to do, you know, 
uh, fewer, fewer gassers. You know, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, Tom, because they're, they're not even padded practices. And, the, and I don't, I can't remember a ton of full speed, you know, unpadded offensive linemen versus unpadded defensive linemen, like pass rush moves. It, these not are the kinds of things that, well, th- those are the kinds of things know. that guys are complaining about. And I, I, right. You know, maybe that happens other places. I just well, I Seahawks can't really and the get their wrists slapped every year for that crap. You know, I think it's the Good hand point. fighting defensive line stuff. Remember who was that? Uh, Kim was it? The Patriots? Yeah, uh, Joe Kim, line coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, the hand fighting stuff. You know, you can do that, but that's contact. So by the letter of the law, even though you're not running into each other, I suppose that could be said to be contact. But um, and that's interesting too to to draw a line of demarcation between what Tom Brady was asking. And mentioning in that conference call that we heard um, or saw quotes from with his fellow NFLPA guys was use this to leverage what they ask you to do at the OTAs. He wasn't saying stay away from the OTAs on mass Brady wasn't. He was saying, look, we shouldn't be in a highly competitive situation now. And they're, they're not supposed to be. Was Brady experiencing that in New England? Had he heard about it around the league? We've seen competitive, but guys shouldn't be hitting each. We've seen guys fall down on each other on pass reception, on pass attempts and breakups, right? Sure. That probably in the OTA. So either way, the upshot is that was kind of the concession. We'll see if it's a little bit more tapered down in three quarter speed as opposed to full speed. But now, Phil, I'd like to change gears and get into the Julio Jones conversation. And you've written quite a bit about it and done a good job illustrating the ways and means of adding Julio Jones. First off, let's get to the facts. Let's get down to brass tacks. The Falcons are moving on from Julio Jones for financial reasons. He carries a massive cap hit for them this year, and he's still going to hit their cap to a degree. But when they trade him, they're going to do it after June 1st so that they can split some of his money on 2021 and push some of it into 2022. If they traded him now, all of his dead cap money would hit this year. Dead cap money, folks. Remember Tom Brady when he went to Tampa, all his money accelerated, hit the Patriots cap, took up like 13 million. With Julio Jones, the Falcons are waiting until at least next Tuesday to move him. That being the case, Phil, take it from there. What are some of the numbers behind Julio Jones before we get into the sensibility of trading for him? Yeah. So you raise a good point. I mean, so they would save the Falcons get to save 15.3 million on their cap, which basically solves their cap right away if they trade them post June 1st. Right. So they take a seven and a half million ish dead money hit, but they free up 15 million. That's huge for them because they have about 400 grand right now in cap space and they can't sign their rookie class. So he's got to go. He essentially has to go. I, I think they had to make a decision, Tom, between he doesn't have to. I think the decision was probably between Ryan and, and Julio, but Ryan, Ryan was impossible to move because he's got 40, million, he's right? got 40 million and the dead money is even worse on that. So you could have tried to figure that out, but this is probably the quickest, easiest way for them to do it. They could. And for fans wondering the 15 million will then accelerate to next year. So right. it'll be seven. And so the 22 doesn't disappear. This is not cap is crap. It's cap can be manipulated and it will be manipulated in that fashion, but the bill will come due. And when you look at how they could get around this and, um, you know, there are a couple different things they could do. Grady Jarrett is another player with a big cap hit. They could, uh, you know, they could restructure these guys, 
but you're just pushing more money down the road and you're, and you're giving yourself more cap issues to deal with in future years, which yeah, so they don't want to do. He has, he has to go. And he, I don't want to spend you know, too much time on the Falcons right. here. He's, he said he wants to go because he wants to win. I don't think he thinks they can do that there. So Julio Jones has a $15.3 million base salary ton that would come with him in a trade. The Patriots have just about 15 million in cap space. They mm-hmm. should be able to get him onto their cap. No problem without making any other corresponding moves because he would replace because of the top 51 rule. You count only the top 51 cap hits when you're figuring out salary cap space at this point in time during the year, he would replace somebody with basically a million dollar salary. I think it's Jawan Bentley is their okay. guy or something. Anyway, they got the space to do it, Tom. He's 32 years old. He hasn't played a thousand snaps ever in his career, uh, but he's played at least 800 for like outside of last season, like the previous five. So he's kind of always dealing with something injury wise. And last year he dealt with a hamstring injury that limited him to nine games, but he's still really good, really efficient. He was top three in yards per target last year, top 10 in receiving yards per game. He's a, he's an incredibly talented guy. The 1000 snaps point well taken just, and I'm not trying to pop holes in your hull here, but you still have, with a guy who does have nagging injuries here and there once in a while, a player who was targeted since 2014, 163, 203, 129, 148, 170, and 157. He missed one game in 2019. He missed two games in 2016. He missed one game in 2014. This is not someone to be looked at as an A.J. Green 2.0. He's 6'3". 220, an absolute machine and a throwback receiver who is going to straight himself to camp. What? Mm. Yeah, he's, he's mm. going to be a Hall of Famer. I agree. Like, and you're not, there's, there is no hole poking going on here because I feel like I, I've done nothing but drive the bus, the Julio no, Jones no, bus. You, no, you have. Yeah. I don't mean to you appropriate get, it, make it sound like Phil doesn't like Julio Jones. I'm just going on the 1,000 snap thing and you're just pointing out a fact you're not trying to besmirch the right, man right and i'm not suddenly the julio jones defender here i'm just saying this is don't aj green me don't even antonio brown me and i listen i get it when people look at the salary and they say 15 million really i, I don't know like is it i don't know maybe a third round pick but not a second no no, no not a second yes yes even at 32 even with missing some practice time and even with maybe having to come out of a game every so often because he's got to manage something. Yes. The Rams are paying Cooper cup 15.8 million per year. The Browns are paying Jarvis Landry 15.1 million per year. And after this year, you still get Julio Jones for two more years after this at very manageable rates with the cap. We assume going up You got of 11 and a half. There? 11 and a half million in 2022, 11 and a half million in 2023. You're paying an Elson Aguilar 11 million per year for two years. You should be willing to pay 32 year old Julio Jones that same amount. He'll be 33 next year. Okay. So it'll be 33. The more I talk about this, the more I want him here. He would change their offense, Tom. It's still a need. They need a receiver. And I know you use fewer receivers when you have two tight ends on the field. I get that. You know what that also means? That means your receiver targets are more concentrated onto the guys that you have out on the field. Like if you're going to only be using two receivers, 
make them both threatening. Do you like know that, what some of these? It can only make you better, and you look, have the money to do it. And here's the thing: when people say, "Well, there's not enough balls for the White House," we're not even getting into the quarterback situation yet. But the 130 targets that go to Julian Edelman are going away. You're not going to target this slot with this quarterback in this offense as frequently. Also, James White is closer to the end than the beginning, and he's a wonderful player and always has been. But he had a 40-catch season last year. He dealt with a lot of off-field tragedy as well, but he also labored at times on the field. He and Edelman carried this offense in large part, almost completely in 2019, um, but largely, too, for, for stretches prior. There are balls that are going to be freed up, free balls everywhere. Julio Jones can gobble up those balls. He would be immediately your number one guy. Nelson Aguilar would slide in nicely as a very legitimate number two. That's, that's probably what he is. In today's NFL, Nelson Aguilar is, is across the league. He's a, he's but he's a, not even going to be the second target. Second like I'm away from the WR1, WR2 stuff. He's not I, even the second target. I mean, you, you do know, need say Julio Jones receivers, though. Henry. You need receivers. Receivers need are fast. Pressures. No, no. Nope. Let me explain why. You need guys who can run. You need you guys who can separate. This the, mode, you stick with this mode of interpretation that is espoused across the NFL and continue to stay blind to the fact that the Patriots run a lateral offense. So it matters less how they stretch the field down horizontally. Uh, it matters excuse me, vertically. It matters, but not the same way. So that's why WR1, WR2 Tom. in the Patriots offense doesn't matter because RB3 is more important than WR2 in the Patriots offense. But Tom, it's, it's been demonstrated. Tom, listen, you don't get the same routes from running backs that you get from receivers. You don't get the same routes that you no. get from tight ends that you get from receivers. And this you offense doesn't lean on receiver routes. Position. You need the receiver. You got to ignore but the, you don't lean on those receiver routes, those vertical routes. They don't lean no, on no, them. No, 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 no. Stop with the vertical. It's not about vertical all the time. Vertical actually is good, though, by the way. Remember when they remember Agreed. Bill Belichick in the meeting saying, well, if they just play over the top of Randy and they would crash down on welcome. I mean, like, what else? Do we, right. We they needed a tight end. They, so what did they need then? They needed a seam. To yeah, be, which is vertical. So you need you need guys who can run. That's all. That's all so, it is. It's be very me, easy yeah, to defend that. an offense where everyone runs a four six Tom, which is what Cordero they have Patterson right now outside of Nelson offense. Aguilar. Okay, Cordero Patterson was in this offense. He was asked because he's not a good receiver. The bottom line is Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Julio Jones is a different. But Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are not going to be more important than either of those two tight ends. I would just say. To, I understand you need good pass catchers across the board. A tight end is not a receiver. A running back is not a receiver. And you may not throw as many nine routes down the field they, as, they as other teams. They are receivers. They're pass receivers. catchers. Okay. They're pass catchers. They're not, they're not receivers. They don't get in and out of breaks the same way. They don't threaten cornerbacks the same way. They don't dictate defense the same way. They are, it's a different position for a reason. I, there are benefits to having guys that are just label. smaller and faster, Tom, than guys – See, I, I don't agree. I, they, they're different positions. They do. Yes. Julian Edelman couldn't do what Julio Jones did. Julio and Jones John U. Smith might can't not do what Julian, do. Julian Edelman does. Exactly. And, and on and on it goes. Yeah. But what do you prefer in your goulash of pass catching and production? 
I think you need a little bit of everything. A little bit more of Edelman and a little bit more of White or Woodhead or Vereen or Falk. They've used it at all at different times. So like 2007, they were spread in vertical. Like 2011, they were tight end. 2018, they didn't have anything and they ran the ball. So like it's what's available to them. And right now they have an unbelievable receiving threat available to them who would make them better. Whether they make them different. Much better. But they can only different. be better. And this actually is a nice segue as two good friends continue to get a little frustrated with each other. I'm um, not frustrated at all. I think that's a good indication of your frustration. No, I'm not. Say that. I'm just that John, get off a of mute. Skull crusher. I'm not frustrated. Here. Break it up. I just pretty good indication fine. that a guy's frustrated when you fine. say if you're frustrated and they say I'm not, I'm not frustrated at all. I have I have John. Am I right? I have reason on my side. That's all logic and position labels i don't see i don't see labels <laughs> i don't see positions be, be that all as it may <laughs> phil um if quintoris lopez jones also known as julio i have his pro football reference that's amazing is that his, is that his name yeah, it's, a, it's what it says wow. on Pro Football Reference, which never gets anything wrong. It's probably the best website that I know. Um, comes to the Patriots. Then we're shining a light on whether or not the guy who's piloting this particular plane can accentuate the positives that he brings. Let's move on to the Cam Newton discussion. Okay. Between arriving late to the team, no training camp, no preseason, a revamping of the offense, parachuting in and trying to learn this offense, a horrendous complement of players around him, then a COVID-19 situation that took him away from the team and probably maybe impacted him a little bit. I don't know. He never really said I had terrible symptoms. All of those things have been raised as reasons that Cam Newton threw eight touchdowns, 12 picks, and the Patriots as a team threw for fewer than 3,000 yards, which is archaic 1970s style bullshit. I kind of, I'm okay with those reasons to a degree, because I think too little has been made of the fact that he was the second leading rusher on the team in terms of attempts. And he was a productive 12 touchdown guy on the ground. So that mitigates it. But Phil, if you get Julio Jones, Hunter, Henry, John Smith, uh, Julian Edelman, he retired, Tom. Um, James White in a running game, Cam's got nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide if he continues to throw for 171 yards a game. And so the question is then, how long does that go on for before a change gets made? Because I, I could still see that happening. I, I believe, I've said this many times, the numbers will be better for Cam. They have to be. When you surround him with more talent, he'll fall into more yards, he'll fall into more touchdowns. That stuff should get better. If it doesn't, I would think the problems would be so obvious so quickly that you'd be forced into making a change. But is there a scenario in which, Tom, he is throwing 170 yards per game for a month before they make a change? Two months? I just, I can't see that. I think they're going to make a physical evaluation of Cam Newton in training camp. And if he physically can't do things the way they need to be done with his arm specifically, then I think you have to move on, don't you? Uh, I do. And, you know, we've gone back and I've made mention often of the Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe 2001 offseason where Brady outplayed Bledsoe significantly. 
but Bledsoe had just signed a 10-year, $103 million contract. And as the team was moving into a new stadium, needed to still be the franchise hood ornament. The last thing the Patriots could have done would be to kneecap him, especially because of the relationship with the Kraft family at that point and Belichick just showing up. But that was then, and this is now, and that's a $103 million player, and this is a $3 million player. And I still think that Cam will get all of camp, all of the preseason, and into the regular season. But if you have that array of talent around him, and it's being held hostage by an inability of Cam Newton to get them the ball, then it shines a light on it. What's interesting, Phil, is they were so bad as a passing offense last year. Can they realistically say, well, this is an offense that should be able to, on third and six, convert on a regular basis through the air? You know what I'm saying? There there, there have to be – it's going to be a jump that should be expected. It's not, hey, all right, 17 for 26, 204 yards, one touchdown, no picks. It it, it has to be better than that. I would think so. I would, From their perspective, I would think so because you got to – They have to ratchet up their expectations, though, right? They – they, have, this is they why, can't hold it to Cam expectations. It has to be Patriot expectations. I'm sorry. Yes, I agree. And this is why, even though, and I've been with you, like I think he's going to get all of training camp also, but should he, Tom? I mean, if because here's the thing. If he's not good and, and physically it looks like the shoulder's giving him problems and the foot's not fully there and the accuracy is all over the map. If you give him reps all through training camp and then you get to the end of training camp and you say, and you can't do it. <laughs> you've you've now wasted hundreds of reps that could have gone to the guy who's actually going to play, whether it's Stidham or Mac Jones or Brian Hoyer or whoever else. And now they're not as ready as they could be. And so are like, <laughs> do we even OTAs matter now? Like with this oh, guy, because no, you have to make point. such a quick evaluation on, well, can he physically do it or not? Because if he can't, then Mac has to get training camp or Jarrett has to get training camp so that we can play week one. And he's probably going to look good. He's probably going to hit the ground running. I mean, I know that Mike Reese reported over the weekend in his outstanding Sunday notes that are there every week that Cam has been working with a throwing coach and there's encouragement, but everybody's going to be encouraged throwing against air. If you look at the Seattle game last year, week two, he looked good. There were some throws with velocity. It's over the course of time as Joe person from Carolina has told us on this pod at least two different times. It's over the course of time that the shoulder wears down. So you almost have to evaluate Cam with that caveat and look at the production and quickness of decision-making of Jarrett Stidham and the processing of Mac Jones. I mean, this is, this is so as much as I just talked in the last segment about this not being an evaluation camp, Phil, this is why we pod. Got to be an evaluation. <laughs> this is why we pod. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it either that way. But if the if it's just I test where are the mechanics, where's the arm strength, where's the shoulder, like that stuff, you are going to be able to see some in OTAs. And if it's really bad, if it's where it was at the end of last year, and I don't think it will be, but if it is, then you maybe say, all right, we got to start skewing reps to guys that are actually going to be able to be on the team and and be productive for us. Hopefully, week one. All right, so we're going to keep our peepers on the Julio Jones conversation. We will also continue to cross swords on conversations about Patriots offense. Uh, Phil being frustrated at my inability to grasp what he's saying and my continuing to hammer at him as if he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Uh, On now to Peter King's power rankings. 
He has the Patriots. I mentioned it earlier at the Brian Sype Harold Carmichael level. For those of you who were not watching football in the 70s and don't have all those numbers embedded in your brain the way they are for me, that's number 17. Number 17. Phil, give me your 17 standby, regardless of sport. I think, um, wasn't Nelson Aguilar 17 Shit. last year? No, he was 15 with the Raiders. John 17 Havlicek is John Havlicek. That's yeah. the one I always think of. Is John but I, all football numbers stick with me better than basketball numbers for some reason. We talked about this last week, I think. I was a 17 guy. My That was my jersey number for uh, for a few years. Mm. Yeah, I like um, that number. Peter King. Puts the Patriots at 17, which is about where I had them last year in my power rankings throughout the summer. And every time we did it, when we needed traffic, we'd put the power rankings out. And they were usually around 17, 18, and 19. Um, Peter King writing, except for Green Bay, no team this morning, when he wrote it on Monday morning, is as full of questions as the Patriots. Mm, challenge. That's mostly a good thing. Is Cam Newton somewhere north of the awful he was last year? Can still, Peter just over the top. How long can Cam hold off Mac Jones? Will Bill Belichick try to go 2007 redux by trading for Julio Jones? Will Dante Hightower resume his strong career? He's just got a lot of the lingering questions we have. A lot of questions he goes through. Will the twin departures of Ernie Adams and Nick Casario mean to Belichick? What will they mean? And can Matt Patricia become sort of jack of all trades, John Nash for Belichick? Who the frig is John Nash? Packers? No clue. No idea. And no, I don't think Matt Patricia's that. That might be a before. I my think time the Patricia reference. thing has been significantly overstated. I mean, my indications are there's there's a lot more Dave Ziegler work going on um, <laughs> than it's being given credit to. I mean, Patricia's kind of assistant to the assistant super junior intendant right now. Be that as it may, you answer those questions, even a few, and you'll have some idea whether the Patriots will be in the middle of the NFL's morass of mediocrity or contenders to play an 18th game. They're going to be contenders to play an 18th game. They are not going to be a mediocre team. They were a mediocre team with a horrific roster last year with a good roster. They're going to be a real good team. They should be. I mean, I understand the, the point about the quarterbacks as far as the questions go. I mean, there's a chance they have nobody Tom on the roster who can play like that. That is a. You just court, chills down the spine, right? I mean, like the cam could be, Cam of last year, Mac Jones could be just not ready. And with a, with a not really strong arm and not great athleticism, you know, and like all the warts that, you know, that we talked about leading up to the draft could, um, could show themselves. And then you could have Sidham from last year and you could have Hoyer from last year. I mean, like that's not totally out of the realm, but they should be better. Uh, as long as they can do this running game, take care of the football kind of thing just based on the additions they've made you would think that plan which got them to seven wins last year would get them to nine or ten right 100 i mean just I mean, based on the defensive improvement alone i mean they got run through like poop through a goose on numerous occasions last year and that ain't gonna happen again it's just not it's not kyle bugger all pro all right before we let you all go and again we will have full coverage thursday phil you got a next pats this week we got next pats this week. We'll have OTAs. We'll be following. no, no, no. You got so you get the next pats on Thursday. We're gonna be there. Like I don't want the whole thing. I was just asking, do you have a next pats? I'm hungry. I'm starting to get cranky. Yeah. On Thursday, we're gonna come back at you probably later in the day after we have an opportunity to watch that uh, OTA, and we will address all issues and observations that we had from that day. So get yourself ready, Skull Crusher. It's gonna be later in the day on Thursday when we pod. 
Um, but before we put a bow on this and I go get some food, so I'm not a dink again to fill and shout out to the codger, George Williamson. He's been sending me email after email wow. from down there at Pine Hills and they've all landed in my spam. And I just had to tell him, go ahead, go ahead and just call me anytime because he's got like nine in there that either like critique something I say to Phil, talk about the audio or say, I've been telling you that, but let's put to get the, the guy off your spam. Get, get, you know, I don't know how to de-spam somebody. Adjust the filters, kid. You get spammed every time, too, for some reason. Oh, I probably haven't even I haven't even seen anything from him, so maybe. No, you get spammed to me. Oh, I get spammed. Okay. Um, Feel free to send me your stuff, George. I'll read it. You just sealed your fate. He's got a lot to say. <laughs> uh, all right, George, we're on to the next thing, which is to look at just the interesting aspect of one national story regarding Aaron Rodgers and his future. And bear in mind that two of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL still have massive question marks hanging from their, mech, their necks like Flavor Flav's clock. <laughs> um, it's Deshaun Watson. We don't know what's going to happen with him. And Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers continues to play coy with what he's going to do in very much the same way Tom Brady did. So I can't slander the guy for playing coy. And everybody around here except for me got tired of Brady doing it. Um, because I thought Brady had a better case than Rogers, but Charles Robinson, a good friend of ours who writes for Yahoo is one of the best reporters. I think who covers the league wrote this on April 30th, the fracture points between Rogers and the GM, Brian Gutenkunst largely revolve around the drafting of Jordan love in 2020 without Rogers having knowledge of the move. Since then, the source said Rogers has believed that it was Gutenkunst's plan to move on from him after the 2020 season, but the Rogers smashed that timeline with his MVP performance. Rogers response, according to the source was he presented the Packers with an opportunity to recommit to him after the season with a new contract with new guaranteed money that would ultimately cement green Bay's all in embrace of him as a starting quarterback for at least the next two seasons. The source said the Packers were not initially willing to consider anything beyond a modest restructure of Rogers contract that would have done little more than guarantee the 2021 season. Charles goes on to point out how similar it was to Brady's situation. This is from more almost a month ago that he wrote this, but as Rogers continues in the news, I do want to circle back and say, Phil, it's the same exact situation except for the idea that Brady never would have expected a heads up on a draft pick. Do you think that if the Packers pay him, it'll change it for Aaron Rodgers? Because wasn't that, we always came back to that. If they'd just given Brady the contract he mm. was looking for, right? Probably could have avoided this thing. If the Packers now say, well, we don't want to fire the GM, but we do want the quarterback. All right, let's just figure out how to free up some money and give no, a bunch of money. I, see, I think the Patriots are different in that you had a 19, 18, 19 year relationship with Belichick and Brady. And Brady had seen the best of Belichick and still had great appreciation for him, even, you know, though he at that point, the relationship, he felt he was being kind of shivved in the whole thing. So I think that Brady would have stayed, whereas Rogers is probably looking at, Gudenkunst and saying you barely Peter drop in this league compared to me and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I know more than you do. So I still think I want you gone, 
But the funny thing with Brady is, bear this in mind, he didn't know what would happen. He didn't know his worth. He had great trepidation about what might happen. And it was only the continued pissing contest that he was a part of in the 2016 offseason going into 17. And the Patriots' reluctance in 2018 to do anything with his contract. And then the shell game. Oh, we gave a two-year extension in the 2019 offseason. That sealed it. The 2019 offseason sealed it. And Brady basically said that after that contract, I knew I was going someplace else. And that's what I was told, you know, when I was in Canton for Tyler's Hall of Fame, you know, I was told it's, it's, it's done. You, they, they have sealed it. And I had been told that at different points that the Patriots had continued to refuse to take the thorn out of the paw of the lion, even with every opportunity to do so. And that's what happened. So all that said, it's just amazing how it's repeating itself with this other storied quarterback. And then again, I guess it's not, is it, Phil? Happens all the time. It, it does. The other thing, but, and I, I just, it is such an interesting comparison. The other difference is that Brady did play out his contract, right? He got mm. to hit free agency. You're right. Rodgers isn't there yet. And he's looking at giving up a lot of money if he just doesn't show up mm. and the Packers want to find him. So how do you think this ends? I mean, do you think they just, and how do you think sh- it should end? I think the Packers should just, honestly, I think they should just trade him and, sure. and just move on, get what you can get for him. He's unhappy. If you don't want to fire your GM and you don't want to give up who you are as a team, you don't want to concede to this player. Like if that's how you feel, just trade him. You get a haul back and just start fresh. That might just be me, Tom, because I like the team building process. Like I think that would be kind of fun in some ways, but wh- how do you think this, this ends up for them? <laughs> Here's one thing that the Packers can count on that the Patriots maybe couldn't, despite the fact that I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear what knowledgeable Patriots fans think. Patriots fans don't show up and show the same kind of loyalty when the team is pissing them off. If there were fans in the stands last year, we would have seen a lot of seats. If there was no COVID and the Patriots unfolded the way they did, it might have been sellouts, but there would have been a name alone. And it wouldn't have been the same season ticket holders. We saw it in 2009 when the Patriots played the Baltimore Ravens in a playoff game, and it was nothing but purple in the stands. There's a shitload of Ravens fans in the stadium that day. People were kind of down on the Patriots. In Green Bay, they're going to show up one way or the other. You trade Aaron Rodgers away. You get that haul back. You tear the Band-Aid off and start to spin it as, look, we tried everything with the guy. He's just a dink. You all know it then you have the opportunity, I think, with a captive audience that the Patriots might not have had the way they do in Green Bay. And you say, deal with it, fan. We'll still see you on Sunday. What do you think? That's a, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, it, because life revolves around the Packers there. So it's, it's just, it is different. It's different. I, I get it. The quarterback matters more than anything. He's a great one still, but it, in this situation, I think I would just say, you know what, Denver, give us uh, three firsts you know what's and tough, uh, two good players and we'll, we'll be happy. The other aspect of that, though, is they're a publicly held company and they're a, in a small market. They need the draw. They need the sales. They need all that local stuff that comes with it. Now, I'm sure there's the local stuff that doesn't get divvied up or does it now. It might Maybe it does. I think everything goes in the bucket now. But the revenue right. that comes from the 
Jersey sales, the revenue that comes from the local TV and the radio shows, and that's significant, I'm sure, in, in Green Bay. Does it go away if it's Devontae Adams and B.J. Raji? Jordan Love. It's the Jordan Love show, baby. It's a love is. So good talk. We had a good time today. I think we probably Mm. got about 41 minutes or so. Crush. I would probably cross the 42-minute mark. So congratulations to everyone everyone who's in the uh, 42-minute club for this week. Let's put a bow on it. And we will talk to you Thursday with much more hard information that you can digest. Have a great week. Peace.